Good morning, family. Good morning. <laughs> We're ready for some rain, are we? Supposed to be raining later this afternoon and tomorrow, so let's trust for some real good, good rain. We're busy with our series on prayer, and I trust that even last week as we started, that um, there's been a stirring in your own heart, and I want to ask you, how's it been going this week? Is there a responsiveness that you're feeling in your heart towards the invitation from the Lord to come and sit with Him, to come and walk with Him, to come and spend time with Him, to be in His presence? And I want to reiterate that. I, I really sense that this series on prayer, this time that we're considering prayer, is not so much about the Lord challenging us to pray, but much more about Him inviting us, inviting each of us to come and just spend time with Him. Today we want to continue on as we walk through that amazing piece of instruction, that example the Lord Jesus gave us when the disciples asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. He took them and he said to them, when you pray, he recognized that we do pray. We all pray. We all pray from time to time. And we might as well do it well. We might as well do it correctly. And so he said, when you pray, Pray like this. And last week we spoke about the fact that the prayer started with our Father. And we said that, that prayer for us is firstly relational. It's about relationship. It's about getting to spend time with our Father. And today we want to, from that, move on a little bit forward and move into the next part where Jesus said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's probably the translation that most of us are familiar with. Our Father, who art in heaven, heaven, hallowed be your name. And so the topic of today is to talk about adoration, adoring the Lord, loving Him. And surely that again reinforces for us the idea that for us, prayer is about relationship. It's about coming to one whom we love, whom we have a sense of value for Him, that we want to be with him. We want to tell him how wonderful he is, how good he is to us. We adore him. Now, I don't know about you, but I've certainly experienced that from time to time, the pressure of life can cause me to begin, begin to live smaller and smaller and smaller. To get to a place where I, I just want my life to be what I can handle. Any of you know what I'm talking about? Where, where I, I just don't need things that are outside of my ability to manage, outside of my heart to carry, outside of my mind to fathom and understand. I just want things to be controllable. And, and as things happen in life, my life tends to want to become smaller and smaller. And it almost feels like at times, like I'm starting to live my life through a magnifying glass. Because I'm, I'm facing realities and I'm facing difficulties and I need answers and I, I need things to work out. And so I, I start living like this. Don't look at the bald spot on top of my head. I'm starting to live like this. I'm like, I'm like inspecting. I'm trying to, what's the answer? Where, where am I going to find the solution? You know, and, and my life gets smaller. Jesus spoke about this in John 10 when he said there's an enemy that's walking around us. And the enemy has come. What did Jesus say? What does the devil do in our lives? To steal, kill, destroy. What does that mean? The enemy comes to reduce, 
your life. To make it less. It's like a snake that comes and wraps himself in, in his coils, yourself in his coils. And as he wraps you, he starts pushing pressure on you. And as he pushes in on you, the, the pressure starts making life feel more and more constricted. More, more smaller. Just less. And so not only is that just the reality of life, but we actually have an agent that is working actively to try and reduce you, to restrict you, to make your life less than, less than what God has intended for you to live. And, and as human beings, we so often succumb to it, don't we? we? We just, you know, make my life manageable. I remember when Debbie shared her wonderful testimony when she spoke in our Peace of Mind series about just their experience with, with the loss of their daughter. And she said it, she said, in a time of loss like that, a time of great trauma, I felt, she said, the, the constant feeling of, I just want my life to be small. I just wanted to stay at home, stay in bed, stay in a place where I can manage it. And then she said, but every day, it became an act of faith just to get out of bed, just to refuse to let life define, be defined by loss, by tragedy, by trauma. And that's the reality for all of us. As life unfolds and as the enemy pursues us, we start feeling how, I just, I just wanna manage life. And the temptation is that we reduce life to what I can manage, to make my life small enough that I can understand it. To, to make my life secure enough that I can be in control. And, and we feel that sense of everything's okay when, when I can control it. But that's the enemy, stealing, killing, destroying. Constantly just pressing in on us. So Jesus didn't only say what the devil does, he also said what he does. He said, but I have come that you may have life and life in abundance. You know what that word abundance in that context means? More than you can handle. To make your life more than you can understand, more than you can control, more than you can manage. That's the life I've come to give you. A life that is more than, a life that is increases, a life that grows, a life that refuses to be defined by the circumstances you find yourself in that refuses to just settle and to be less than. We see a great example of this in Scripture where a group of, of, of fellow believers of ours early on in, 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 the, in the journey of the New Testament church found themselves in such a situation. God was moving after the day of Pentecost with the disciples. They were seeing miracles happen to the extent that it started drawing the attention of the authorities again. These authorities, the Jewish priests and leaders that killed Jesus, that put Jesus in his place, that wanted to make sure that life remained small and manageable, that they could control it, that they could handle it. They didn't want something to stretch them beyond what they could take care of. And so they killed Jesus so that life could be predictable, life could be fitting into their rituals, religion, and frame of reference. 
But now Jesus is dead, but the disciples, having been filled with the Spirit, is starting to do the same things that Jesus did. And so the religious leaders are getting concerned. They're like, how is this possible? We killed him. Where are these people coming from? So one day they grab some of them after a particular time of again seeing God move in miracles and they, and they drag them in, in front of the leaders and they, they say to them, hey, stop it. Stop this. What are you doing? Don't do this. Don't keep telling people about Jesus. Stop it. And so they threatened these disciples. They said, and if you don't stop it, we're going to capture you. We're going to put you in prison. We're going to take your stuff. And the implication was that we'll do to you what we did to Jesus. Can you see how the enemy was coming? Saying, you think you can live big, but no, no, live small. Live less than. Don't worry about other people. Just be safe. Don't take the risk of talking about who Jesus is. Just keep your life manageable. Just be a good person. Just live less. And so we see in Acts 4 how these disciples responded. So when they release, they go back and they join with some of their community. And the scripture says they raised their voices. They lifted up their voice so that if some spy from the Sanhedrin followed them and was standing outside the door and seeing, now how are these guys going to respond? He would be surprised to hear that they were shouting. They were speaking out loud. And you know what they were doing? They were giving adoration to God. They said, Lord, you are the king of the heavens and the earth. You made everything. You are the one who rules. You're the highest authority. Why do the nations rage against you? Why do the leaders of the Sanhedrin and the Jewish leaders get upset with you? Because you are God. Can you see what they're busy doing? They're pushing. They're pushing against the enemy that's trying to reduce, steal, kill, and destroy. That's trying to make them smaller. They're saying, no, 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 I refuse. I refuse to be defined by your view of the world. I'm looking and I'm saying, there's one that is bigger. There's one that is greater. Hello, KB. <laughs> she wanted to slip up quietly and let nobody see her. So, hello, KB, everybody. <laughs> Thank you, KB. They said, no. No, we unfortunately... Guys, what you don't understand is we live in a world that is very big because we serve a God that is very big. You cannot make us live in a small little place. It's not possible for us. So for two-thirds of that prayer that is recorded in Acts 4, they're proclaiming who God is and how people should fit in with God's plan. And then they get to the end of the prayer, they ask God for something. So adoration preceded asking. And that's very important. Because they wanted their asking to be defined by who God is, not by the threat that was against them. Because if you, how many of you know that if their asking was defined by the threat, what would they have asked God? Keep us safe. That's what we pray when the threat defines the ask. But their adoration defined their asking. So guess what they asked God? Give us strength. Give us boldness. Let us not stop proclaiming your name. Help us to be stronger than we've even been before. 
Because you are a great big God. You are more. And that's the power of adoration. When the enemy pushes in on us, we start living like this. Heads down. Looking at the details. Trying to figure out, where's God? What's God doing? And when we do that, fear starts entering our hearts. Do you know we can pray from fear as much as we can pray from faith? I think that so often in our lives, prayer is driven by fear, not by faith. Let me tell you a story about my children. As you know, I have four boys. So I have many memories of carrying them when they were little. And I can remember times when I carried one of them, you know, how many of you, whenever your parents were driving home from visiting friends, as you got closer to home, you acted like you were asleep? Because you wanted your dad to pick you up and put you in bed or your mom. Hey? Come on, own up. And then you think your parents don't know, but they always knew. They know you when you're sleeping and they know when you're awake. So I would often drive, you know, and then I'd have to carry them. Now there's times when I carried my children because they were afraid. And there's times that I carried them because they rested in my arms. I could feel the difference. I could always feel the difference in their bodies when they were afraid or when they were resting. Do you know how I felt it? Because when I picked them up and I was carrying them and they were afraid, they were holding on to me harder than I was holding on to them. And sometimes this most horrible thing happened. You know when that little hand grabs hold of you and they're holding on for dear life and they grab hold of this little skin underneath your arm and you're going, because they're just like holding on because they're afraid. And then there's times when I would carry them and they would just be limp and they would rest. Do you know that whether they were afraid or whether they were resting, they arrived at the same place? Because them holding on to me or not holding on to me didn't really make a difference because I was doing the carrying. Sometimes we come to God and we're afraid and we hold on and we say, Lord, I need to, you to get me there. I need you to help me. And we're so driven by fear that we're holding on to God thinking that our holding on is what holds us secure. Do you know that your holding on is not where your security lies? Your security lies in your Father that holds on to you. You might as well relax. You might as well let go and rest in His arms and say, thank you, Father, that you're gonna get me. I don't even know where there is, but you'll get me there. I rest in you. That's the difference between faith and fear. When we feel the constriction and fear starts building up, we, we start living like this. We start focusing on the loss. We start focusing on the failure. We start focusing on the, on, the, on the things that could go wrong. But God says, I have come to do with your life more than what you could ever imagine is possible. If I live by fear, I can never inherit what God has planned for me. Because by definition, what God wants to do in my life will take me into the realms of things that I will be afraid of. God did not come to make me safe. God came to give me victory. How many of you know those aren't necessarily the same thing? If you want to be safe, 
then you make God a small God. If you want the victory, you step out and you say, okay, Lord, this freaks me out. This is more than I can handle. This is beyond my understanding. But I rest in you because you have the victory. You are my God. And so Jesus says, don't let your life be reduced. But begin to live your life. And you know what? When we adore, we swap our magnifying glass for a binocular or perhaps for a telescope. We love going to the Kruger, as you know, most of you. And God blessed me with a gift in my life for many different reasons. But one of the reasons why God blessed me with Natasha is she can see things like she can see the fly on an elephant three kilometers away. <laughs> she is just amazing. So people often ask me, how is it that you get to see all these things? Now, I pray a lot when I drive, so I would say that. But most of it is actually because she has an phenomenal ability to spot things. She can see. And so when we're driving in the Kruger, sometimes we'll drive and she'll say, stop. Because she's seeing something. And I'm like, where, what? And then she'll grab the binoculars and she'll start looking. And she'll say, there. And then she'll describe something. I don't know, like, how did you see that? But I can look through the binoculars and I can see over there. When Jesus says, our Father who art in heaven, he's saying, get out your binoculars and start looking. If you live life through a magnifying glass, you'll miss him. You won't see him. You'll catch little glimpses of him because he's bigger than your magnifying glass. You need a binoculars to start looking. I love when I'm in the felt because you know in the city everything is close. Your computer screen is right here. Your office window is right here. The car next to you is right here. The buildings are in front of you. But when I'm in the bush, I look and I can see far. And it gives me context. I start realizing all of life is not about me. All of life cannot be defined by my experience. All of life cannot be fitted around what I think is going on. And when I look through my binoculars, I begin to see things that I never thought. Because I begin to see His splendor, His glory. We sang it this morning. I look up at the heavens. Why does it so often that God says, look up? Look up! Because we're so like, oh, Oh, and then God says, look up. Oh, wow. Where did that come from? Because God is saying, I'm bigger than. I think if we wrote the Lord's Prayer, we would have said, our Father who are near to us, hallowed be your name. We forget that God is both far and near all at the same time. But he's definitely far away from us in some things. That word in the heavens means he's other than us. He's not defined by our world. He's not defined by our struggles. He's not defined by the stuff we struggle with. He is bigger than. He's outside of it. Do you know that nothing that happens on earth affects and changes who God is? He is always, hallowed be your name, bigger than. We adore him. When we adore him, we look up. Wow. He is greater, further, higher, bigger we refuse to let God be reduced to our needs, to our experience, to what we can wrap our minds around. And we say, no, our Father who art in heaven, 
Wow. And thank you, Lord, that because of that, because of who you are, my life is bigger. It's more than what's in my bank account. It's more than any of the struggles I face. You are more that. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad for that fact? Now, it's challenging because it means there's no excuse for us. There's no hiding away for us. Yes, we go through times where perhaps we're just holding on for dear life. But if you keep holding on to Jesus, ultimately he's going to say, come, I'm going to lead you to the broad places, to the bigger places. I'm going to show you the victory. He's bigger. He's more. We adore him. We love him. Like these saints did in Acts 4. The psalmist writes in this well-known psalm, in Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? Imagine if you didn't have an answer to that question. Imagine you in some hole, some problem, caught in some desperate place, like at the bottom of a hole, and you're looking up, and you can see the mountain perhaps just outside of the hole, and you say, I look up, where does my help come from? And there's nobody. There's nothing out there. Do you know that's how most people live their lives? They're in the hole, and they're shouting, where does our help come from? And then eventually they start looking around in the hole. And they think, perhaps right here we'll find the answer for how we're going to get out of this. They start looking at each other. They say, have you got a way out of the hole? Have you got a way out of the hole? Have you got a way out of the hole? And then some smart alley comes along and says, you know, through the Hadron Collider, we discovered the God particle. And we now know how to get out of the hole. We've got understanding that no other people has had before us. We are going to get out of this hole. We're going to build a way to get out of the hole. And everybody's excited. <laughs> we're getting out of the hole. Life is going to be possible. Wow, we're going to get out of the hole. And then a couple of years pass by and you start going, but we're still in the hole, people. We've built stuff. And it's a bit more comfortable in the hole. And like, your wow, it's fantastic. In, but we're still in the hole. Where does our help come from? If God was not in heaven, where would our help come from? Because then he was just a slob like one of us, riding the train with us. Any of you remember the song? I wish I was a punk rocker. Okay, I've lost half of you, I see. God is not in the hole with us, merely. Jesus came into the hole with us to pick us out of the hole because he came from outside of the hole. He's bigger than the hole. In him we live and move and have our being. All things were created by him and for him and is sustained by him. So when I stand in the hole and I say, where does my help come from? There's an answer. The psalmist carries on. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. There is no hole you can find yourself in 
that God is not bigger than that hole and can get you out of the hole. The other day, I was in a meeting here, it's like half eight o'clock, nine o'clock on a Monday morning, and uh, my, my phone pings, and I did what I shouldn't do. I looked at my phone in a meeting. And I get this wonderful photo of one of our cars in a hole. The front wheel is literally in a hole, like a manhole. You know, one of those concrete manhole things? I will not say who was driving that car at that point in time. But this person whom I dearly love managed to be able to knock this bigger concrete lid off of a manhole and put the car in the hole, the front tire. That's a lovely photo to get on a Monday morning. But for, and I could do nothing. I was in a meeting, but I was like, okay, whatever. I get a photo a little bit later. Fortunately, this happened at the South Church, at the premises. So they filled up the hole with bricks from the bottom. And then started being able to just jack the wheel, the, you know, the car up a little bit so it can fill up with more wheels. So when they released the car, it had, and then they built like a platform and out they got it. I was so proud of them. Most of them were ladies, bricks, with their office clothes on, bricks on wheelbarrows and off they go. It's like, there's no hole that there's not a way out if your God is the God of heaven and earth. That's our God. That's the God who we serve. And that's what adoration does for us. It connects us with that God. It makes us remember who that God is. In the book of Common Prayer, wrote in 16-something in the 17th century, it says this, Adoration is the lifting up of the heart and mind to God, asking nothing but to enjoy God's presence. When I adore Him, I'm saying, literally, I refuse to let the conditions of this world define my life. My life is defined by the one who is bigger, who is more than. I may feel the problems pressing in on me. They may be very real and very scary, but my God is more, is bigger. C.S. Lewis said, in commanding us to glorify God, God is inviting us to enjoy Him. Why does God demand our adoration? Is it because he's an egotistical being? Some narcissist that needs to be told how wonderful he is all the time? No, he's inviting us to remember that we live in a world where he, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of love is the highest authority. When I praise him, I create an environment where he is on the throne. Jonah remembered this. Unfortunately for him, after he was swallowed by the whale. Remember when he was swallowed by the whale? Talk about being constricted and restricted. Talk about losing all sense of control, all sense of space and time. Not only was he like, I don't know, how, how many of you have been in the side of a whale's stomach? I don't, but I can imagine it stank terribly. There was, I mean, there was like old number plates floating in the back corner there somewhere. And, and I mean, and I can only imagine it's like a, there he is, being crushed, being pressed. And then at a point, if you read the story of Jonah, what does he do? He starts saying, this will not define me. This is not the description of my life. I'm a stinky man inside of a whale's stomach. It's not who I am. I am the prophet of the king of kings. 
I've forgotten that, but now I remember. And so he starts pushing that whale's stomach and he starts praising God. He's like, praise the Lord. You know, it's like, yeah. And he starts doing the Holy Spirit can-can inside of the whale. He's like, I'm gonna praise God because my God's bigger than this whale's stomach. I got myself here, but God's gonna get me out of here. And guess what happens? Do you know the story? One of the great sermons is, the whale, something's bugging him because he's no longer able to contain that Jonah. And then all he could do was go, spit him out on the beach. So it happens to be the beach where he was supposed to be in the first place. And he goes and preaches the gospel. He says, I refuse to be held and made small. You and I just, sometimes our lives is from one whale stomach to the next whale stomach. And we just feel life like this. But it's our adoration that goes, no. We adore him because we enjoy him. The fact that God is a good God, that means whatever circumstance I find myself, there's always reason to enjoy him. There's always reason to find joy in him to praise Him, to delight in Him. The most stinky, confining place does not mean there's not a reason to enjoy His presence. Franz Joseph Haydn, the famous composer, once was, was once criticized that his music was too cheerful. He responded by saying, when I think of God, my heart is so full that notes, notes dance and leap, as it were, from my pen. And since God has given me a cheerful heart, it will be easily forgiven me when I serve him with a cheerful spirit. Isn't that who our God is? He's a God that is worth enjoying. So how do we adore him? I want to give us some practical tips. How do we adore him? My analogy is this. If I'm in a hole, I need to get out of that hole. Let me just make myself safe. If you've been in a hole or you need to ascend, reach high, get outside of your own human limitations, outside of what you can handle. I was hanging recently with my one son. We were trying to hang a a ceiling fan. And that meant it's outside of our reach. We had to use a ladder and climb on the ladder and start getting to the places that's higher than us, ascending up. If you want to ascend, that's what adoration does. It allows you to ascend. That's why so many of the Psalms are called the Psalms of Ascent. When the, when the Jews spoke about going to Jerusalem, they spoke about going up to Jerusalem, ascending to Jerusalem. To go up, we need help. We need a structure. We need something that helps us. And that's what adoration does. us. So if you want to go up, the first thing you have to do is get up and go stand by the ladder. Awaken your spirit. Awaken your soul. I don't know about you. But sometimes, my soul does not want to praise God. I don't want to adore Him. Don't tell Him, but I'm just confessing it to you here sometimes. I mean, I've even, you know, like sat in God's presence and was like, really? Must I now adore you? Can't this be about me for a change? Don't you know what I need? Don't you know my problems? Now I've got to talk about how wonderful you are. Thankfully, I don't think you're all that wonderful because you haven't helped me with this. 
And like, like I spoke about last week, I get a bit passive aggressive. I know it's only me, so keep praying for me. I get a little bit like omgekrap, as we will say in Sutu. You know, omgekrap. <laughs> so I'm, I'm sitting in front of the Lord and I'm like, mm. there's a wonderful song where David was feeling the same way. David, who spent half of his life in a cave. It was prophesied over him that he would be in the palace. But guess where he finds himself? In a cave. With a madman running after him, trying to kill him. And he was in the cave, feeling depressed, feeling lonely, feeling unappreciated. His soul was heavy. His soul was slipping into depression and anxiety and fear and feeling like, this is horrible. And then in Psalm 103, he speaks to himself. Have you ever spoken to yourself? But I mean not nice. Spoken to yourself. He, he speaks to himself and he says the following. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Now if you read it in the original language, he's not saying praise the Lord, O my soul. This will be a good idea. It'll be so nice if you can just praise the Lord. He's commanding himself. He's, it's an imperative language. He is taking himself to the bathroom and giving himself a hiding. He's saying, praise the Lord, O my soul. His spirit is speaking to his soul, and he's saying, stop your nonsense and begin to adore him. Get up. Come. Awaken. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Have you had to do that with yourself? Tell yourself, now's the time to praise God. Because the... Water and Lights account, despite all the load shedding, it just seems to get bigger. The fuel price is just like, what the heck's going on? I've got to buy something that's imported, with, that's paid for in dollars. Oh, how can I do that? My children's report card's not looking so great. Mm. I'm starting to feel a bit small. I'm starting to feel like, okay, how do I find an answer for the petrol price? How do I pay for my increase in my bond? How, how do I get my child? Praise the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Because this hole I'm in, God is bigger than this hole. This problem that I'm in, I've got to remember. Because listen to what he says in verse 2. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget none of his benefits. When we're in the hole, we forget his benefits. We get ourselves in the hole because we forget who he is and what he can do. And what he's promised and declared. So the first thing is come and stand by the thing. Get yourself up and say, awaken my soul. Now we're going to adore the Lord. And then you want to climb. To climb, there's wonderful, it is so wonderful that there are some tools available to us. So that when you feel like, oh, I don't want to climb, you can just ride with somebody else. You can, you can have strength. This is like, I can't reach up there. But if I get on the ladder, I can start reaching. So what is this ladder? The first thing is tools that God has given us to ascend, to rise up, to adore Him. His first one, use Scripture. Climb, whoopsie, climb on the strength of Scripture. When you don't have enough strength to adore God, use the Scripture. Do you know what the Scripture is? It's God describing Himself to us in language that we would never have come up with because we wouldn't understand how big he is. So he tells us how big he is. So I use scripture to, to describe himself to himself. I use his infallible word. At Young Adults tonight, Natasha's gonna speak about how God's word can be trusted. His word is what I stand on. 
And I say, my experience might be that I'm in a hole, but God's word says the following about my life. And I begin to stand on the word. That's why it's so great to memorize the word. Memorize scriptures that they're available to you, that when you're in trouble, you can say, bless the Lord, oh my soul. I, remember, I know David did it. I can do it. I use the scripture. Scripture becomes my structure that I begin to climb on. Perhaps I don't have the strength, but God's word starts picking me up. The second thing I can use is this great gift that God has given us in this world, music. Have you found this about music? That you can be driving in the car and feeling quite like despondent. And then a song comes up on the radio. Not Christian radio station, just a song. On the radio comes up and it's like, hey man, I'm starting to feel like a, like a slacker, man. It like, starts picking me up and I'm starting to vibe to the song. I'm starting to like, hee hee. I'm starting to feel better. I'm starting to enjoy my ride. So great. And then I start listening to the words of the song and I'm like, woohoo. Nope, can't go there. That song's not supposed to make me feel better. That's horrible. Because music in itself is a gift given to us by God. That's, that moves us. That sometimes just helps us to, to get out of the hole. And in the church, music is so important. Because we get to sing together. Sometimes in these times when I'm a little bit passive-aggressive, it's happened once or twice that I've come to church in a mood like that. And then I come to church and I'm like, and then I've got to be friendly. I'm the pastor, you know, after all. So, hello, how are you doing? So nice to see you. <laughs> Meanwhile, inside of me, I'm like, I just want to be at home. I just want to do my own thing. I don't want to be. It's only happened once in my life, I promise you. Once this week. So it's, you know, sometimes we're like, mm -hmm. and then I come into the service and I'm standing here and I'm, you know, I may be because I know how to behave in church, be standing like this. But in actual fact, everything inside of me is like, can we just get this over with? Why must you be so happy? I don't feel happy. But you know, when I stand like this, after a while I start noticing. Because y'all are worshiping and singing. And the team like this morning, you know, God is good. They start declaring it. And I'm like, and then before I know it and stuff starts happening. And before, I, Brian, are you going to come join me and we're going to dance? Okay, Brian's like, no. You know, have you ever experienced that? I'm not going to do that again so you can catch it on your cell phone. It was like, I can see what you were doing. And it's like, man, what have I done? I've just climbed a ladder. I've used somebody else. The music is fantastic. The words of, of people that have declared their worship in songs that I could never do. This is my greatest line that I've ever composed to God. God, you are better than ice cream. I promise you, I pray that prayer often. That's my most clever line I've ever come up with to adore God. I'm so glad for other musicians and people that, that are a bit better than I am at creating music that helps me adore the Lord. We come together and we adore Him. And it's not firstly about the style and the song and the leader and the, all of that. It's about a heart that says, man, I just wanna, He's so great. I refuse to be kept small. So we use music. We use community. 
We use community. Community is a ladder for us to begin to adore God with. Because it's not just me. Some of your stories inspire me. Say, wow, God is good because of you. Some of what I see in you just makes me, him go, I don't have the strength for that, but I see it in somebody else. So thankful for my community. I use you all the time to help me ascend, to climb up, to begin to reach beyond myself. I use liturgy. That's not a word we often use as charismaniacs. We think we have no liturgy. But you know what liturgy is? Liturgy in a service is just a familiar path that one follows. And you know what the value of it is? Because sometimes we come to the Lord and we just need something that we just know and we can trust. As charismatics, we think everything should be new. Aren't you glad that this morning's communion, we didn't have to come up for a new way of doing communion? No church leadership should have a prayer meeting to say, let's pray about how to do communion in a new way. No, we do it the same old way. Because repeated patterns create structure and discipline in our lives. If you want to play tennis, if you want to play tennis well, you need to build up muscle memory. You hit that ball to that machine thousands of times. You just hit the same with your topspin. And you know what eventually happens is, without thinking, you start hitting the ball the same way. A friend of mine was a good tennis player, and his one arm was thicker than his other arm because he continued to hit the ball like this. He was eventually became his discipline. And that's what discipline does in our lives, repeated patterns. Sometimes we just don't need something new. We just need something old to trust in. Aren't you glad that the Bible doesn't have to get rewritten every 100 years? It's the same book. There's no pressure on the Holy Spirit to come up with a new word of God. What is the word for today? No, he just says, well, I've written it. It's the truth. Just go back. Just repeat. Wash, repeat. What? Watch, wash, rinse, repeat. Just keep doing it. That's what community disciplines, liturgy, helps us. Now, we're not a liturgical church, but we do have patterns. And that helps us. The last one is, worship team, you guys can join me. Use your uniqueness. Sometimes I climb the ladder I use the word because like, I just don't have it in me. Then I thank you for the word. The word helps me. I use music and I, mm, okay, I'm getting up. <laughs> you know what? At some point, my own weirdness starts coming out. My own uniqueness, my own way of worshiping God. But it's not all about my own way. Some, some charismatics think that to be led by the Spirit means every week's service is different than the previous week's. I don't think that's how the Holy Spirit necessarily works. There will be some different things from time to time. But so often, it's that pattern. And when we follow the pattern, something begins to happen. Lord, you're better than ice cream. That's my sentence. You're not allowed to use that. Because that has meaning to me because you know how I feel about ice cream. Your sentence may be something else. But we begin to express who we are. I begin to sing with my horrible voice and they mute the mic. I'm so thankful. Those guys up there, they make your lives doable because they mute the mic. And I bring him who I am. But I can adore him. Won't you stand with me? It may be possible that you are here 
today. And your life is, is like this. You're trying to figure it out. You're trying to understand. And is God in the detail? Yes. But he's not only in the detail. He comes to the detail from the big places. Having created the heavens and the earth, nothing is outside of him. And perhaps today is just an opportunity to begin to say, Lord, I'm going to lift my head. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to tell myself to declare your praises. I want to live in a world where you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I want my life to define, be defined by who you are, by your abundance, by your more than, not by my lack, not by my loss, not by my suffering, not by my struggle, but by your goodness. If you want to do that today, sometimes when we do something with our body, it speaks to the rest of our being also. Can I ask you, if you want to do that today, just lift up your hands like this. Just go. I refuse to be hemmed in. I refuse to be made small. Start pushing. If it's needed, say to yourself, bless the Lord, O my soul. Say that to yourself. No, no, come on. Start meaning business with yourself. Don't make a suggestion to yourself. Tell yourself. Command yourself. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. I look to the mountains. Where will my help come from? My help comes from the one who is the maker of heaven and earth. Whatever hole I may be in is nothing compared to who my God is. Begin to praise Him. Begin to use Scripture. Begin to use your own song. Begin to use your body. Begin to use just whatever is available, however you want to respond. Use your weirdness, use your uniqueness and begin to say, I praise you, Lord. Come on, let it rise up. Let it rise up. We are a charismatic church after all. Perhaps sometimes, you know what I need is just to speak in tongues. When I don't have the words, when my body feels too weak, when my soul is too in control, I begin to say, and my soul gets edified by my spirit and something begins to break free in me you may see, say pastor you just want us to make a noise no I want you to, to adore him sometimes that's quiet sometimes that's just with a, a small sentence I know adoration is many things but in this space this morning I want us to push out I want us to push out I want you to break out of the enemy stealing, killing, and destroying, and say, no, you will not define me. I am defined by who my God is. Lord, we praise you. Lord, we worship you in this place. Lord, we declare your goodness. We declare your glory. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Stir in us an adoration for you, our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to invite you, if you feel like, man, I, I need to step out a bit. I need to push forward. Then perhaps another step is just to come to the front. I'm going to ask the team just now to sing a song. I'm going to end the service, and then I'm going to ask them to sing a song. But you may be in a hole. And it's time to lift up your head and begin to praise Him. And this is a space of grace. This is a place, a thin place.
So come, make use of this opportunity. Climb on the ladder of your community. Be strengthened by your community in this day. So if you want to come, just come to the front. If you want somebody to pray for you, then you can come to one of our prayer team and they'll pray for you. Those of you that are interested in just finding out more about our church and possibly even becoming a member, go to the Connect Lounge as you're in the foyer. That's the hall on the left. May the Lord bless you. Thank you for those of you that have joined us online. We're going to continue to worship the Lord. I trust that you find a way right there where you are to stand up and to push against that which is trying to make you smaller and to say, Lord, I thank you for you. Let's, be, let's praise Him. Let's worship Him. May the Lord bless you as you go. If you want to go, you're more than welcome to go. But we're going to just take a moment and praise the Lord. Thank you, team.